Welcome to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. As much as you can, as someone can step up and take ownership and, and own that direction of whichever that organization is going in, I think really speaks volumes and gives a student really more to talk about in an interview. Hello everyone, I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. We have another interesting and slightly unique episode for you this week. I have been looking to interview one of the talent acquisition, aka recruiting staff at one of the big four firms in order to get some insider information, so to speak, on what it takes to be recruited into a big four firm at the entry level, specifically And one of our contacts at PwC was very gracious and connected us with Wade Beal, our guest for this week. Wade is a senior associate in the campus talent area with PwC. Wade's territory covers basically all of Texas for PricewaterhouseCoopers, so I figured his experience and insight is going to be particularly beneficial for us. However, I had no idea how much his passion for his job was going to shine through in this interview, you could tell that he really, really loves his work. Even if you're already well into your career, you're going to get some good tips from Wade on, on really just good interview technique. It's not just for up-and-coming graduates. Wade has some good insight for all of us, no matter where you are in your career journey. Here we go with Wade Beal, Campus Talent Senior Associate with PwC. Wade, thank you for making the time for this. I really think it's going to be beneficial to our audience, particularly those that are just getting their career started or at least will be here in the near future. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I've been really looking forward to this. Oh, wonderful. Well, I wanted to have you on the show because I was looking for someone that could help our audience out with insider information, so to speak, on what it takes to be successful, you know, the mm-hmm. first couple of years at a big four firm, and, and particularly, actually, what it takes to be recruited in the first place. And I figured, you know, it would obviously be beneficial to the audience and for those looking to, to take that path in their career, but also it couldn't hurt, you know, the firms to have people that are a little more prepared you know, going into that process. I want to make this about PwC specifically, though. So mm-hmm. before we get into, you know, sort of the advice and, and tips, if you could tell us a little bit about PwC, you know, what the general public may not know or or what makes PwC a little unique versus other firms, you know, what, what do you enjoy about working there? Yeah, I have now been uh, with PwC um, going on three years, and okay. it's been a, a wonderful ride and one that I hope will continue on far into the future. The thing that keeps me here, there's a couple things. The first being, I think, the, the culture. It's really stayed true to what I 
when I was going through the the search for joining the firm, um, it stayed true to that. It's it's very much a forward thinking type of culture. The leadership here at the firm really takes to heart what the staff at all levels have to say about you know what's working, what maybe isn't working, and adapting and and molding it so that everyone kind of has a voice. And to me, for, especially for such a large firm to to kind of take that approach and really own it. It's really a great feeling and something that keeps me here as well. And then, uh, I mean, in addition to that, you have the people. I think anyone at any of the large firms would say that, uh, but really the people have very much so been consistent along the way. I have not met a single person that I haven't gotten along with. You know, everyone has just been so welcoming and just there, you know, to kind of pick up the pieces. If uh, if I need help or vice versa, if I need help out, I'm always there for people. And then kind of the other thing that I guess I would really enjoy and say uh, about the firm is uh, the benefits. They're very generous. And I think that that comes from a healthy competition amongst all other firms. You know, we want to offer a good slate of benefits for people to really have and take advantage of when they're within the firm. So it's definitely better than you know, what I was receiving at maybe some industry jobs prior to joining the firm. Okay. Yeah, I know I know some firms in public accounting have some unique benefits as compared to industry. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. Are, are there any in particular that you'd like to highlight or yeah. anything that sort of you don't find in private companies? Of course, yeah. Really a couple come to mind. The first being, we call it the firm-wide shutdown, and that actually occurs the week between uh, Christmas and New Year's. Um, and that's very much so directed from leadership, you know, in New York for the firm that we want the staff and everyone to unplug and really spend time with the family and kind of just do what you want to do with that time. And that's really reassuring. I think in the the three years that I've been here, I mean, you could count the amount of emails that I get during that week or so, or those four or five days, I can count the emails on one hand. Uh, It's very slowed down and that's a relief and and awesome you know to have that kind of that ability to detach and and be with family during that so the firm wide shutdown i think is just one of the one of the benefits that i really like and the other one that i like to say is that i've really started to to pick up since i've kind of delved more I, you keep peeling back the layers actually once you're here to really see what's available and there's one that's called the well-being rewards and that's actually a program that rewards just sound fit decisions on an individual's level. So say, for example, if I chose to work out this morning and I wanted to put that into the internal website that, hey, I worked out this morning, that gives me five points, which actually is equivalent of $5. And so, yeah, there is a cap at the end of the year. You can only hit a certain level, but it is still generous. And so you can then turn in those dollars that you accumulate, whether it's getting your eyes checked regularly or getting your teeth cleaned regularly. There's executive health exams that are rewarded, those types of things. As long as you keep up on just your general well-being, the firm will reward you with just a little extra incentive. And so you could then turn those dollars that you accumulate into gift cards. You can do online gift cards. You can ask for you know gift cards to restaurants, whatever it is, those types of things. It's a whole website that's devoted just to converting those dollars into an actual reward, if you will. So not only are you being healthy, but the firm is actually really kind of pitching in and incentivizing you to, to remain so, which is a good thing. So 
that's pretty cool. I only yeah. get a, a penny per dollar spent, you know, on my credit card rewards. So <laughs> that is pretty cool. Yeah. Interesting. You know, and I've only heard the firm wide shutdown. I maybe maybe I'm just ignorant in this area, but I I hear that with manufacturing firms sometime. I I didn't know it was making its way into other other industries. Yeah. That's great. Wow. It's it's really fantastic and it's just yeah, a really great time to be with family and not have to worry that you're owing someone a response because everyone is kind of agreed upon within the firm that hey, we're really going to shut down and we're really going to enjoy this time off. So Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, getting to, into the sort of the you know tips and and what y'all's process is and, and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So you're a campus talent associate, correct? Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wonderful. So when you're out there interviewing, you know, new possible entry level hires, what are some of the characteristics you're looking for? Or your team is looking for. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of the boots on the ground, if you will. I'm at the career fair and I'm meeting students. I'm also working with a lot of the accounting chairs for the different schools and kind of the region and kind of fielding the resumes as they come across. You know, some of the characteristics that we really, really seek out are kind of those that own their own development in a way that they're kind of an inherent leader in their own right. And so someone that is involved, you know, to the extent of if that involvement means still being a full-time student, but also maybe working a, a part-time job, being involved in just different student organizations. Those kinds of attributes or those characteristics are really what I think maybe help people out when we're looking at resumes. Because sometimes you might look at a resume or a, a, a stack of resumes, and a lot of them kind of look very similar. For one, some of the business schools I know here in Texas, they have a, a standardized approach to the actual resume. So they can kind of blend together, if you will. But when you're able to leverage those experiences within a student organization or additional work on the side or, you know, just being kind of involved to a certain extent, I think that helps out. That's interesting because, yes, I'm aware that some schools have sort of a standard format. Mm -hmm. And maybe I may have the the purpose behind that incorrect, but I was assuming it was to help out the students, you know, just to, to expedite it. But actually, I guess it may make the recruiter's job a little harder because they all sort of look the same. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's kind of a, uh, yeah, you get the good and the That's bad, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause then when you utilize really that standardized approach to the resume that the schools may put forward, you know, it, it looks great. It looks great. Structure-wise, the font is all the same. It kind of flows all the same, you know, but it kind of lends to us maybe doing a little more digging just so that we can really kind of differentiate who's doing what and who's not doing what or, you know, those types of things. Mm -hmm. Sure. I think what I'm hearing you say on the owning your own development, you were talking about activities. So you're looking for some involvement, but Mm -hmm. maybe leadership positions. Is that Yeah, definitely. I know... I can speak to my own history. And when I was an undergrad, I was in a smaller school in Arizona. I joined a a business fraternity and I kind of was on cruise control, I would say, the first year or so when I was in that business fraternity. Um, There were both guys and girls in the group. And then it wasn't until a certain point that I actually had someone who was an alumni of our fraternity come in and speak. And he had since gotten a job at an insurance agency. And he said, 
be more involved than just sitting here, than just raising your hand on voting and on votes and throwing in the the little here and there comments. Own it, you know, own the direction of what the fraternity was going to go in. And luckily at the business fraternity that I was in, there were a handful of different leadership type roles where one was the leader of community service, another was the leader of the finances for the actual you know, fraternity and those sorts of things. And so once he said that, I kind of took that to heart and kind of ran with that. And um, so, yeah, like you're saying, being more than just a participant, I'd say as much as you can, as someone can step up and take ownership and, and own that direction of whichever that organization is going in, I think really speaks volumes and gives a student really more to talk about in an interview because they've maybe potentially seen more or they've had to make a harder decisions. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, when I was in college, I was active in the accounting club mm-hmm. um, from, I believe, sophomore year on. But it, and I was, I was on the office, I believe I was treasurer that last year. But I remember we had an influx of seniors right before mm-hmm. interviewing season <laughs> back then that, that wanted to join. And, and I thought, you know, there's got to be a difference to saying you're an officer in, in the club, you know, mm-hmm. at least saying you were involved in, with, with something outside yeah. of just, you know, I joined. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Well, as long as we're we're on the topic, I, I wouldn't be doing the interview just if if I didn't ask about GPA. I mean, do you guys have specific GPA requirements? I mean, do they differ by school or area of the country or yeah, how, yeah. how does that all work? Yeah, it's definitely a topic that's discussed amongst our leadership. The one thing that I always fall back on is uh we regularly review our job descriptions. And every year when we're posting on the different campuses for internships or for full-time, we do put in there the current GPA that we're looking for as a requirement. And so if it does change from year to year or semester to semester, I always just refer people to look at the, uh, the job description that we actually have posted. I can be honest, I know that that's for our firm. I don't know if that's the same for others, but I can speak to ours, and that's kind of what we we do for that. Okay, so it's not mm-hmm. a, a universal number, so to speak. It it gets posted at each university, and mm-hmm. there's some differential there. Okay. Yeah, and if there is a difference, it's probably very minimal. Okay. Okay. Other than I guess leadership positions and you know a certain minimum GPA, what else do you guys look for? I made reference to it before too. If someone has a part-time job or or something, uh, I, I do find that a good thing is if you're able to show some some sort of progression in your job title or responsibilities. Sometimes some may just lump it all into one job title and it is kind of what it is. But I, I mean, if you're able to illustrate some sort of progression, I think that that works in, in a student's favor. In addition to that, I'm trying to think if if someone really does take to heart the job description that we post at all of our different schools that we recruit at, there's verbiage in there, right, that we're really looking for people to kind of hit and fall in line with. And if if they do, then great. So as much as someone can really take to heart what the job description is really calling out and relating that to their experiences, not not fictionalizing anything, right, on their part, but if they're really able to just show that they demonstrated the same requirements or the same skills that are being asked for in the job description, I think that really helps someone a long way. So it may be that they have one resume for one firm or they may have one resume that covers all firms or, you know, but 
really it's it's their career. So I say make as many resumes as you have to to kind of elevate your chances of employment. I'm glad to hear you say that. I, <laughs> I mean, this is self-serving, I guess, a little bit, but I, I've given out some of the same advice that, mm-hmm. you know, it, as long as they're both truthful, there's no, there's nothing wrong with having a couple of versions of your resume, one that highlights one area, one that highlights another, you know, mm-hmm. because you, you only have so much space. So that, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I don't know if this is a fair question. So if it's not really in your area, just let me know. Not a problem. Mm-hmm. I, I know you handle more campus work, but... You know, thinking back to some of the more successful recruits mm-hmm. you and your team have had, I mean, are there any characteristics that sort of stuck out in your mind that you can identify, you know, these, these people did well and, you know, this is what they were like in the beginning? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's really telling. My, my time here has been somewhat short, right, three years, but in that three years, I've still been able to welcome in interns that are now full-time associates here and have maybe spent a year, year and a half with the firm. One characteristic that I was would always go to is it's telling at the very beginning if they're following up, and maybe that's following up with me or following up with the interviewer post-interview or even if I were to go into a classroom or a student organization and give a brief presentation, there's always a handful that will offer consistent follow-up, like, hey, thank you for coming in and this and that. And I would honestly say that those are people that stick with me in my head as being maybe those that are potentially going to do well. You know, they are really showing a genuine interest. And so it's funny, I I don't want to pat myself on the back. I recently received a promotion uh, within the firm. And those students that I've hired when I, going through the internship, when I kind of first joined the firm, I did actually receive some messages from them, you know, even congratulating me on the promotion. Wow. Even though I'm not in the same city as them anymore, they have still followed up to this day. And, and you know, I, I think it speaks well to them that these connections are stuff that they want to keep up on. And I think I can speak for myself. I value that highly. And I think that partners all the way, all staff of all levels would really appreciate that. It just shows a genuine interest and a spark to them that, you know, maybe some don't exhibit. That's interesting. Mm Yeah. And and actually, you know, as as you know, I mean, the further you go, the more it becomes about not just technical skills, but relationship Mm -hmm. management and and that kind of thing. And those individuals are showing, you know, high promise. They're yeah. future partners right there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Good deal. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anything else that you talked about um, follow-up? But... Yeah, the follow-up. And I guess another characteristic, one that I've always appreciated with some is some of the recruits that have come across in the last couple of years is being realistic. You know, within the firm, there are not set timelines of promotion or progression, if you will, but I think having a healthy dose of reality or realism to their to their goals and, and the way they approach things goes a long way because, you know, things will happen in due time and they'll happen sometimes when you are a top performer and you exhibit that you're competent and ready to take on the next task, the, the next bigger task, if you will. And so I think those are characteristics, right, that have stuck out because I have seen it happen where, you know, maybe I meet someone on campus that they want to be having the conversation a year later and they already want to be maybe a manager of some sort. And Mm. in the real world, that may not happen, you know, (laughs) most likely it won't, but having a a healthy dose of reality, I think has been key to those that are now with the firm and just 
taking that approach to things. Sure, mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. You know, I should have asked you this in the beginning. You, you referred to it earlier that you cover a region. What, what is the region? I am based in Austin, Texas, but I am part of the greater Texas market, which is really encompasses the whole state of Texas. Yeah, within the schools that I recruit at heavily, they actually have some out-of-state population as well. So I'm not limited in sending students that we interview on campus just to sites here in Texas, but really sites across the United States from D.C., New York, San Francisco, L.A., you know, kind of all over the place, um, Chicago. Yeah. Okay. That, that's, that's, a, that's a large area. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know if y'all track this, but do you have any idea how many students you're connecting with or interviewing on a monthly basis or yeah. basis or <laughs> I'm just really curious. Yeah, the the influx really is in the spring here in Texas with the internship recruiting that occurs in the spring. Okay. And I know from personal experience being heavily involved at recruiting uh, at UT in Austin here, University of Texas that Historically, year after year, their master's in accountancy program is always over 200 students. And so that's a population that we may not interview, you know, all 200 because not all 200 would may be interested in our firm or maybe they have already uh, developed connections prior to going through the recruitment cycle with other firms. So they're kind of leaning that way already. But that's just kind of one, right? And that's one drop in the bucket because you also in the state have A&M. Texas A&M, and you also have Texas Tech and Baylor, which are all pretty sizable master's in accountancy programs as well. And so really, once we hit March and April, when we're doing on-campus interviews, I think you know we're sending a lot of people across the state to go interview these students. And I think UT being the largest population in terms of master's in accountancy students, but then Texas A&M's right behind them, not, not by much, you know, not down that much from the 200 number. So... Okay. Uh-huh. Quite a few. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, one one of the things that always pains me is to see somebody that has, you know, a good shot at a job and they just through just not knowing how the process works or, mm-hmm. you know, not thinking things through in advance, excuse the term, but they sort of blow it, you know, for themselves at some yeah. point during the interview process. In in the interest of helping people, mm-hmm. you know, what mistakes do you see people make in the interview process, particularly in the on-campus portion? What yeah. Maybe could be done better there that, that you'd like to pass on. Yeah, I think in this day and age, if we were talking about when I was going through school, I don't think all the information that there wasn't an abundance of information, I feel, back when I was in school. But nowadays, there's a lot of information one can find out about any firm, any company that they're interviewing with. And I think one thing that I consistently hear from the partners when they will go into an interview with a student and then they come out of is maybe kind of a checked out, if you will, kind of demeanor. Or, And I think I can attribute that to a couple things, and maybe a lack of interest, ultimately, or a lack of preparation. And that's kind of where I was going with the abundance of information out there. So I think that they're doing themselves a disservice sometimes if they just don't even spend, you know, 15, 20 minutes on our website or another firm's website and really just kind of see what the different names of the programs are called that we recruit for or kind of the the happenings, the current happenings with the firm or this and that. And, you know, it becomes pretty apparent pretty quickly in an interview if, if that preparation doesn't occur. It becomes pretty clear pretty quickly. 
I guess in addition to that, <laughs> I, I would say also giving some succinct answers and I, because I feel like I might be kind of talking and dragging things along, but a lot of the times there's drawn on responses that go on and on and on. And those that are actually conducting the interview will want to find out more information and they're unable to do so. And no one wants to cut anyone off in an interview. So just trying to think of things succinctly and, and approach it that way. And then the other thing that I would also say is minimizing maybe the amount of personal information that is shared. Sometimes, okay. you know, it, it, it could go into being kind of feel like a conversation, but also still remember that, you know, it's a potential employer that you're interviewing with. And it's different for everyone, right? There's a different comfort level that with everyone that they get when they sit across from somebody, but kind of reeling it in, you know, sometimes and, and kind of censoring them oneself, you know, to really keep it business focused or, or whatnot. Because definitely hear a lot of stories sometimes about what some are willing to share and you're sometimes scratching your head like, oh, maybe I wouldn't have shared some of that information, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting to me because everything you're mentioning are sort of interview basics. And if that's, mm-hmm. if that's what needs to be done better, it, it's just a matter of making the investment of time really mm-hmm. to, to prepare. That's very interesting. Yeah. Also, what I'm hearing you say is you, you don't want, you assume that people know that it's, you know, a global firm, you mm-hmm. know, some of the basics about the, the firm, but you, you'd like them to know a little bit more of the details, recent happenings at the firm, mm-hmm. uh, different programs, yeah. do a little deeper research to, to prepare so that it's unique to your firm, not just the same thing they're going to say to, to the other three. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, uh, I, I will kind of add on to that in, that in that when I was going through the recruiting process, I came through as an experienced hire with the firm. And when I was really going down the road and starting to do initially some phone interviews with the firm, I took the time. I don't know how long it must have been. At least at a minimum, it was two hours, if not three. I took a one-page sheet of paper and I just went to town on it. I, I pulled up the website. Uh, I went pwc.com and I kid you not, I clicked through every link that I possibly could and anything that remotely seemed interesting to me or something that I would want further clarification on, I wrote down on a piece of paper. And as I started going through the process of going through the different interviews, I kind of leveraged those points that I wrote down. So it wasn't something that I was cooking off the top of my head. Like, you know, cause you always get that question at the end of an interview. Do you have any questions for us? And believe me, I had a whole list cause I went through, again, I went through the research and I don't know. I, I, I just feel like sometimes if, if someone is willing to invest the time to really do the investigation and the, the research into things that it just shows through in the way they're speaking and the way they're carrying themselves in an interview. And I think it engages the interviewer a little more, maybe even subconsciously, you know, that it's just, there's just something about that kind of energy that comes about that. So, yeah. 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 People can sometimes really blow the whole interview with, nope, I don't have any questions. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) There's plenty out there to to ask something about, you know, (laughs) Well, do you have any thoughts or, or advice on the rest of the process? Hmm. You know, what happens after that campus interview? You know, what, what is the rest yeah. of the process with PwC, first of all? And then what's the best way to prepare for that? 
Yeah. Uh, so, of course, someone would, uh, if they receive the on-campus interview, you, typically the process is if they do well on the on-campus interview. Specifically here in Texas, we have some follow-up events, so they would receive invites to those. And then in addition, there would be kind of a second and final round interview that would either be um, conducted on-site at the office of their choosing or a virtual interview if, say, they're trying to go to an office that's outside of the state. That second interview would occur at that point. But yeah, there are follow-up events that occur. And you know, shortly after that, after their second and final interview is when they're either extended an offer or not. And if not, as much valuable feedback as we can give, we give to them. And even after the on-campus interview as well, if someone is chosen not to move forward in the process, we try to be as transparent as we can and answer any questions that they may have that, regarding their performance in the interview. And yeah, the other piece of that that you were asking about is kind of how do we leave off or what advice, you know, I guess from the candidate's perspective, uh, how they should approach things post on-campus interview the one I always go to, if they haven't already, connect, connect, connect on LinkedIn. If that's, really? yeah, if that's with me as the recruiter, or if that's with the partner that maybe they interview, or the 10 people that they meet at the follow-up event, whichever it is, because, you know, I, I remember back in the day looking at my father's desk, he had the Rolodex, right? And it never failed. He would always go to that, and I would see him go to that daily for things. And I mean, I don't go to LinkedIn daily, uh, but I think it still serves the same purpose that I don't know, you know, maybe a week or two down the line, if I have to connect with, or if I have to ask someone a question, I'll definitely go on LinkedIn and I'll send it to them there if I don't have their email address already. It's just a good way to keep in touch with people, even if things don't work out initially. If we're not moving forward with them in the on-campus interview, post that, you know, still connect with us and you never know, they may find themselves two years in at another firm post, post-grad and maybe looking to make a switch and, hey, you know, they already have the connection. They can easily send me over a message and I can try to, you know, obviously get it to the right person or, or give them the FaceTime that they deserve. So LinkedIn is huge because I always hear it and never fails that some have never set it up. But I strongly encourage anyone and everyone to always create one and have one active and up-to-date. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting, actually. You, you've got sort of a common theme here of follow-up because you were mm-hmm. talking about that earlier with successful characteristics, you know, following up during the process. It, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically you were saying that, or I believe you were saying that it causes people to just be more memorable, you know, if they follow up. And and if you don't hire them the first time, who knows, two or three years later, that uh, that's different. Of course. I mean, you're hitting it right on the head and maybe I'm I'm getting around to that point. Eventually, yeah, it's that we, I spoke a little bit earlier about the the volume sometimes that we see from the local Texas schools. And then when you add in the volume that we receive nationally from students applying, it's it's a little daunting sometimes. It's a welcome challenge for me. I love it, getting to meet as many people as I do. But, you know, you would like to keep everyone's story straight. You like to know a little bit about each person. And I don't know, it just really sticks out in my head a lot of the time when someone is going willing to go that extra mile and connect and 
kind of work the network, if they will, you know, post all those activities because you don't want anyone to get lost in the shuffle of things. You want everyone to have kind of an equal playing field. And it's, it just so happens that sometimes people don't leverage that network like they should or could. And sometimes it could be a detriment to them. But those that do, I think, will definitely see success in different areas. Okay. That's good advice. No, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. And I end every podcast with the same questions for consistency. For your sake, I altered them a little bit since you're more on the campus recruiting side and, and not you know, in, in the trenches in accounting, but I did want to have some consistency. So mm-hmm. uh, first of all, I guess, what do you enjoy the most about working in your role as a recruiter? What's, yeah, the, what keeps it exciting for you? Kind of the last item as well is that the volume of students that I meet, it's an ever-evolving roster, if you will, from semester to semester. And those that I keep in touch with, it's just it's really great, you know, to see people progress and kind of start achieving the goals that they had set out. And um, so I feel kind of like a mile high view of that, you know, because I meet a lot of people and I get to see kind of how things play out with some people that way. And so it's that kind of ever evolving, constant change of students that I, I meet that keeps me really engaged and really happy to do what I do. It's it's never stagnant, you know. Uh, I I always am meeting new people and developing, you know, different things, different interests personally and professionally, and, and from those, you know, relationships that I've developed, and that as well as you know, just the challenge that comes with that really keeps me in, interested and loving my job. Okay. Okay. Well, I always end with the best piece of advice. What's the best mm. piece of career or job search advice? Yeah, ever heard or ever received. I think I have a few. What, yeah, so one I'll reiterate to, I guess, the first and foremost thing again, because again, I think it really shows through in a good way is when people do that research. I'm a huge proponent of that. Even if you're going to go into a career fair type situation, most schools turn over the list or the roster of companies that are going to be present. And you don't really ever want to go, I feel, up to a company and go, what is it that you do? Because, I mean, that's fine. It's fine to ask that question and we will have an answer for you. But in a way, it's it's not as engaging as you want to be. I think if you had some talking points, hey, I, I saw this on your website. Tell me a little bit more about that or what is your angle on that or those types of things. It just shows us that, that spark that you get from that. And I, I find that really engaging and kudos to them for, for going that extra mile and doing that. So going about things that way. The other piece of advice was really also when I, what I received when I was in the fraternity in my undergrad was, yeah, being more than just a participant. Try to raise your hand and, and nominate yourself or push people to nominate you for things more frequently than not. And I think that that will yield experiences that no one else will have. You know, you can really develop conversation points in an interview with those uh, experiences. And then the last thing, this might be trivial, but it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, the consistency of some of the resumes that I receive sometimes from some of the Texas schools. Most people will have access to Microsoft Word, or they may do it on um, Google Docs or some sort of thing, some sort of software like that, right? For a clean look, I always, always stress to students that I meet, convert your stuff to PDF. 
Because <laughs> when I receive a uh, resume sometimes and they're in some sort of software, like a Microsoft Word or whatnot, it may look great on your computer and because you have the margins set up however you do. And But sometimes things get lost in translation and it kind of could be somewhat skewed, you know, when I finally receive it and it can not look as great. One thing that... Uh, never fails is the PDF format. I mean, it just looks super clean and you never get that kind of issue. And because you always want to put your best foot forward when you're sending out stuff like that. And I think one way to kind of ensure that is that simple thing is just convert it to PDF and, and do that. So those are some pieces of advice that I've received and take to heart and like to push out there as well. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That getting the resume, it's almost like a first impression. Mm-hmm. It is the first impression, or sometimes it's making that impression again, and so that makes a lot of sense. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Wade. You know, I we were talking about this earlier, but you know, Susan Huff in San Antonio have referred me to you when I was looking for someone for for this kind of interview, and and she said that you were great at your job and you just had a passion for it. And I can hear it in your voice. That's <laughs> exciting. That's neat. Thank, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much, Mark. It's really been a pleasure. and No problem. I appreciate your time. If I can do anything for you, let me know. Otherwise, have a great summer. Great. Thank you. You too. Like I mentioned in the introduction, Wade definitely thoroughly enjoys his role at PwC. I found the conversation about interview preparation and common mistakes particularly to be interesting. So much of being successful just comes down to taking the time to be adequately prepared and really truly caring about the process that you're going through. Almost anything that you take the time to do well ends up working out well in the end. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Please join us next week for another interview with an everyday hero in the accounting community. We have several other interesting guests scheduled to share their career journeys with you in hopes of making your own personal career journey just that much better. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for the Life in Accounting podcast. And as I always say, stay tuned. There's more to come.